Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So very clearly, Paul shows us here that it is faith that causes us to be justified, not keeping the law. Paul has said previously that righteousness cannot come by the law, but there is a righteousness that comes from God and it comes through faith to all them who believe. And so through this faith, we have been justified. And so because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And this is just a glorious truth. Between us and God, there is no more enmity. There is no more wrath. There's no more hostility. There's no more anger. There's no more judgment. You know, before, when we were not in Christ, we were in our sins. We were in first Adam. We were dead in sin. And there was wrath towards us. Now, God was holding back that wrath because in his patience, he was giving us time to repent. But one day his patience would run out and we would have to stand before God and give an account for our life. And those that are not in Christ would actually receive the wrath and the judgment and the punishment of God. And so all of that, before we were in Christ, all of that wrath was still towards us and against us. And so there wasn't peace between us and God. There couldn't be peace. But as soon as somebody comes into Christ and has faith in Christ, then their sin has been removed. They have been declared innocent and not guilty. They are credited with the righteousness of God. In fact, they are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so sin is no longer in the way. It is taken out of the way. And now when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint, a born again, righteous child of God that is spotless and radiant in his sight. And he's not having to just turn a blind eye to our sin. No, he's actually taken our sin away and he's made us his righteousness. So when he sees us, he doesn't see us through sin and he doesn't even just see us through Christ. He sees us as the righteousness of God because that is what he's made us. And because of that, there is now peace between us and God. There's no more wrath, no more judgment, no more punishment. And this is the glorious gospel of grace. And it is hard for people to accept, but we need to accept it because it is the truth. And I tell you, when you live in that truth, you'll actually live in peace. It is not only the doctrine of justification and that there is now peace between us and God. Actually, when this truth gets into your heart and when it gets into your thinking, you'll experience peace in your heart and peace in your mind when you, as you realize that there is peace between you and God. That God is not looking at you with wrath, wanting to judge you at any moment, but he's actually looking at you with love, through righteousness, through grace. He's relating to you through peace. And this is not because of anything we've done. It is simply the gift of grace. And it comes through what Jesus did for us. Verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So very clearly, it is through faith that we've gained access into this grace. So we're saved by grace because grace is God's unmerited favor. It's his love. It's his forgiveness. It's his righteousness that we could never earn. He gives it to us as a gift. And so we're saved by grace. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace. But it is faith that gives us access into this grace. And this is very 
important to understand because it is only those who have faith that gain access into this grace. In other words, you need to have faith in order to be saved by this grace. And anyone who doesn't have faith does not access this grace. And so this whole idea of universalism and because of the cross, well, everyone is just saved now. Everyone is under the grace of God. That is not true. It very clearly here says we gain access into this grace through faith. And so faith is very important. And Paul, again and again, all throughout Romans, he speaks about the need and the importance of having faith in order to be saved and in order to gain access into this grace. And then it says, access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And the grace of God, that is our standing. That is our sure footing. That is the foundation that we stand on. And so we don't go back to the law and try to stand on the law and stand on our works. No, we stand on grace and we stand in the grace of God. And then he says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so because of this grace... We have a hope and it's an eternal hope. It's the hope of eternal life because of Christ Jesus. And so we haven't entered into that eternal life yet, but we know that we will enter into that eternal life. Why? Because we've had faith in Christ and now we have entered into that grace. We've gained access to that grace and it's this grace that we now stand on. And this is what gives us a hope. And it gives us the hope of the glory of God. We're going to spend eternity in glory in heaven with God for eternity. And so this is the incredible hope that born again believers have. No matter what I face in this life, the worst that can happen to me is that I die and then I wake up in heaven with Jesus and spend eternity with Christ. And so the reason we can rejoice in this hope is because of the grace of God. See, if this salvation was dependent on our works, then we couldn't rejoice because we're not sure if we've done enough to earn our salvation. Or it could be that towards the end of our life, we don't perform so well and perhaps we won't be saved in the end. And so that isn't a hope at all. That is a very unstable hope. It's a shaky hope. You're not able to stand in that hope. And there's a lot of Christians that have a very shaky hope because they're still relying on the law. They're still trusting in the law. And so they don't have a sense of peace between them and God. And they don't have a sense of a strong hope. And so there isn't a lot of rejoicing, but actually there's a lot of fear. But God doesn't want it that way. God wants us to stand in the grace of God and be filled with hope and be able to rejoice in hope, knowing that there is peace between us and God. There is eternal peace between us and God. We have a guarantee of eternal life and so we can go through this life with boldness and confidence, rejoicing and not in fear that we're going to miss out. No, we have such confidence in this hope because it is ours. Why? Because we have gained access to it through faith. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And what a strange thing that we can rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, who rejoices in their sufferings. But Paul here is saying, we can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we have this hope. And so having this eternal hope changes our perspective about our current sufferings. And so we view our current sufferings in the light of eternity. And when you do that, your current sufferings don't seem that bad. I mean, yes, when you're going through them, 
they are bad. But Paul says they are not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so our sufferings are for a moment, but heaven and his glory is for eternity. And so Paul actually, he says here that we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And so we can change the way that we think about suffering. We can think, oh, it's just terrible and horrible, but actually suffering does something to us. It develops an endurance within us. And so a lot of the suffering that Paul is talking about here, actually he's talking about suffering for the gospel. You know, Jesus even said, blessed are they who are persecuted for my name's sake. And Jesus said, in this world, you will suffer many tribulations, but be of good cheer for I've overcome this world. That, that is like an eternal hope that causes us to be cheerful, even though we're walking through difficulties and tribulations. And believers, because of our faith, will be persecuted. And so Paul here is saying that don't look at your suffering and this persecution as a terrible thing. You're suffering for Christ. And actually what it is doing, it's producing endurance in you. It's developing endurance. And endurance is good because it is increasing your ability to walk through suffering. And so if you've never faced adversity in this life, and as a Christian, if you've never faced any kind of persecution, and you just go for years and years without facing any, you just live in this cocooned, safe world, then one day, you all of a sudden, you just face a huge amount of adversity and persecution. You will just abandon Christ and feel hope, give up hope, you know, and you'll just, the wheels will come off, you want to shrink back. And so... Paul here is saying it's actually it's good to face a little bit of persecution because as you face that you grow through it and the more you grow through it the stronger you get it's like if you want to grow your muscles if you don't have any adversity you know any resistance you're not going to grow your muscles you actually have to put your muscles under adversity you, you got to put them through some suffering lifting some heavy weights in order to grow those muscles and the more you do that the stronger your muscles get and actually, the stronger your muscles get, the easier it is to lift those weights. And you can lift heavier and heavier weights. So in this life, the more that we face suffering, the more it strengthens us and enables us to be able to face even more and more suffering. And then he says, verse 4, and endurance produces character. So now it's actually speaking about strength, inner strength and fortitude. It's like Paul. Paul had character. He was able to walk through incredible persecution because he had strong character and character produces hope. And so when you've got this inner strength in your character, it produces hope because you know that no matter what comes against you in this life, it's not going to take you out. You've, you've got a strength that has been developed in God and you know that you can endure through anything. And even if you were to face death, your hope is, well, I'm going to be with God in heaven. And so all these things, this isn't some kind of work to try to develop character. This is simply standing in your faith and being willing to suffer persecution for Christ. And you do all of that because you have this eternal hope, knowing that you're going to be with God forever and ever. And the source of this hope is your faith in the grace of God. And then verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so this hope 
that we have doesn't put us to shame. There's, there's other people that want to put us to shame, that want to shame us for believing the gospel. They reject us for believing the gospel. They persecute us like they did Paul, Jesus, Stephen, the apostles, the New Testament saints, and they do the same to us because we're believers. But even though people want to shame us for this hope, God doesn't shame us. God doesn't reject us. No, God has poured out his love into our hearts. That is God embracing us. That is God loving us. And I'll tell you, even that is an incredible hope that we have. So I don't put my hope in people and in people's approval. My hope comes from God and from his love, his approval that has been poured out into my heart. And again, none of this came through my works and what I did. It came through Christ and his grace and me simply receiving that by faith. And as I have this faith and I access this grace, God has poured his love into my heart and I have this eternal hope. There is no shame in it. And so no matter what shame I might face in this world, it is not even worth comparing to the love that God has poured out into my heart. And that is such a profound thing. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So while we were weak, this is all of humanity was weak, not able to save themselves. So while everyone, including us, were weak, not able to save ourselves, Christ died for us, for the ungodly. So Jesus never came for a perfect world. If we could be sinless and we could be perfect and we could be holy just like God is holy, then Jesus never had to come. Jesus didn't come for a spotless world, a perfect world. He came for a world that was dead in sin and unable to save themselves. We were weak to save ourselves. And so in the middle of that, Christ came and died for us. That is the love of God to humanity. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. And so it's not a very normal thing for people to die on behalf of other people. I mean, who does that? No one does that. Generally, we're all quite selfish and we're like, no, you, you die. I'm going to survive. I'm going to keep living. But maybe if there was someone who was really good and really amazing, if there was some scenario that came up, we might give our life for them. But in general, people don't do that. And what it's showing here is that there was no one good in the whole world. Everyone was ungodly. And yet Christ came to die for us. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, everyone, this whole world, this is God's love to humanity, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's obviously it's including all of humanity from the start of time to the end of time. All of us were sinners. No one had done anything good enough to be righteous and holy before God. We were all weak, ungodly. And in the middle of all of that, Christ came and he died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so it was the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. That is what makes it legal for us to be justified. God couldn't just declare us innocent and not guilty because we were all ungodly. We were all sinners and God couldn't just say, oh no, you're all just righteous now. No, we had a debt of sin. We were dead in sin. And so in that state, God couldn't just declare us 
justified and righteous. However, because the blood of Jesus was offered for us in place of us, there is a divine exchange. So Jesus became our sin and he took the wrath of God in our place for our sin so that we could be forgiven of our sins and receive the righteousness of God and therefore be declared justified. And so it was the blood of Jesus that made it legal for God to justify us. And then it says, because we have been justified, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God? And so this indicates to us that the wrath of God is real and that we were facing the wrath of God and that all of humanity was facing the wrath of God. But then Christ came and intercepted that wrath. He took our sins and God's wrath came upon him. But it doesn't mean that everyone is freed from the wrath of God. In fact, here it indicates very clearly that it is only those that have been justified by faith. And so the whole world isn't justified. It is only those who have faith. And so only those who have faith have been saved from the wrath of God. Those that don't have faith, they are not justified. They have not been declared innocent and they are still in their sins. And so the Bible very clearly here tells us that Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so what I believe verse 10 is saying is that the whole world was enemies of God and that was because of our sin. And so there was wrath between us and God and judgment, pending judgment. But because of Christ's death, the whole world has been reconciled. And that doesn't mean the whole world has been saved. It just means that the whole world has been brought near to salvation. But it is only those who actually put their faith in Christ that are fully reconciled back to God. Because it says much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so the world is reconciled in that they are brought near to God through the death of Christ. Everyone is brought near through the death of Christ. Before salvation was out of reach for everyone. It is only through the blood of Christ that was offered that the whole world is brought close to salvation. People's sins were dealt with in Christ. But it is only when you put faith in Christ that you receive the benefits of that and that you're actually saved from God's wrath and that you actually come into the resurrection power, the life of God. So, so it says much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so even though the world is brought near by the death of Christ, it is only those who have faith in Christ that are fully reconciled to Christ and who are saved by the resurrection of Christ. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliations. And so here Paul says it's through our Lord Jesus Christ that we have now actually received reconciliation. And because of that, we can rejoice. But the whole world can't rejoice because the whole world has not received reconciliation. Christ's death has reconciled everyone. It's brought everyone near, but not everyone has received this reconciliation. And so there are a lot of people that use the previous verse to try to say, no, look, the whole world has been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. And so therefore everyone is saved. And that is not what the scripture is teaching here. If you read it accurately 
and in context, you'll see a theme that is repeated again and again, that it is only through faith that we access this grace. It's only through faith that we're saved, we're justified by faith, and this reconciliation also comes through faith. And so the whole world can't rejoice because the whole world has not been saved from the wrath of God. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got no reason to rejoice. You are still under the wrath of God and you're going to face God one day and give an account for your life and you're going to be in your own righteousness and in your sins. And even though the blood of Jesus was given and paid the price for your sins and brought you closer to God where you could have reached out and put your faith in Christ, you chose not to. And so all of the benefits that Christ did, you didn't receive. And for you, it's as though Christ never died. It is only those that have put their faith in Christ. They are the ones who can rejoice because they are the ones who have received reconciliation. In verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So here it's talking about Adam and through Adam's sin. Remember, God said to Adam, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And so that was a commandment of God. And Adam he ate from the tree, so he broke the commandment of God and he sinned. He trespassed. And because of that sin, death came into the world. And so everyone who was born after Adam was actually born into death and born into Adam's sin. And so all sinned because all were born into sin. They were born sinners. And that is why all sinned. And so death spread to all mankind. In verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted or imputed where there is no law. So before the law of Moses was given, there was no law in the world. And so because there was no law, sin was not being imputed to people, it was not being revealed in people. However, verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And so even though the law only came through Moses and that people between Adam and Moses, they weren't sinning like Adam sinned. You know, Adam was given a commandment and he broke that commandment. And people after Moses, after the law came, they were given commandments and they broke the commandments. And so, you know, the consequences of Adam breaking the commandments was death and the consequences of Israel breaking the laws of Moses was death. Well, then how come everyone between Adam and Moses, even though they didn't have the law, how come they were still experiencing death? Well, it's because they were born into death. They were born into the sin and the death of Adam. And then it says, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Christ is the one to come. And so Adam was a type of Christ. In other words, what Adam did affected all of humanity. His one sinful act actually brought death to all of humanity. But what Christ did, his one righteous act, actually we'll see, brings life to all humanity. And so verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. So the free gift to all of humanity that comes through what Christ did 
is far greater than the consequence of the trespass that Adam did that affected all of humanity. Basically, all of humanity was affected by what Adam did and all of humanity is affected by what Christ did. But what Christ did is greater than what Adam did. Reading on, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the results of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What it's saying here is that what Adam did brought condemnation to humanity, and that was a free gift. No one had sinned. No one had, had transgressed the law, and yet they were imputed with death. Technically, they didn't do anything for it. Adam did it, and they received the free gift of condemnation. But then through Christ, through his one act on the cross, it brings justification to humanity. Even though people had sinned, even though humanity had sinned and deserved judgment, they actually, through Christ, received the free gift of justification and of salvation of eternal life. And so you can see Adam and Christ are similar. Adam is a type of Christ, but Christ is superior. And then verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so what Christ did is greater than what Adam did. It actually supersedes what Adam did. So we were all dead in Adam, but if we receive the grace of God and the gift of his righteousness, we will actually have life in Christ because of Christ's death and his resurrection. His death paid for our sins, but his resurrection enabled us to come to life and to receive this eternal life. And so we don't need to live in death anymore. Now we can live in life. When we are born again in Christ, we come into newness of life. And this isn't the old life where we're dead in sin and under the power and the control of sin. This is the new life where we are alive in Christ and we have a hope of eternal life. And this all comes by receiving the grace of God and the gift of righteousness. And this is where we reign because now we live in the grace of God. I mean, this truly is incredible. We reign in this life. There's no fear of death. There's no fear of actually losing this life. I have no fear of death because if I die in this life, I'll step into eternity. And so this is such a glorious truth that people struggle to understand. The reality is nothing could take you out of Adam. No good works could take you out of Adam. And I'm telling you, what Christ did was greater than what Adam did. And so anyone who is in Christ through the grace of God, there is no bad works that can take you out of Christ. See, religion twists this all up. Religion says, well, if you're in Adam, you've just got to do good works and that's going to take you out of Adam and make you to be saved. And that is absolute garbage. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that it's receiving the grace of God. And then religion also twists the grace of God and, and it twists the gift, the free gift 
Because it says, even though you're saved and in the grace of God, if you do enough bad, you can lose that and then end up back in Adam or end up back in death. Lose your salvation. And I would say, no, that, that's not the gospel. That's, that is preaching a powerful Adam and a weak Christ. That No, what Paul is telling us is that you can't even compare it. Christ is so much greater, so much more superior to what Adam did. Christ is a type of Adam, but Christ is a much more superior type. Verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And again, I just need to point out because some people use the scripture to say that all mankind has been justified when it says, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. And so some people try to use this scripture to say that through what Christ did, now everyone has been justified, but that is not what the scripture is saying. In fact, literally in the verse before, it says, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. And the actual chapter literally starts out saying, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. And so many times Paul says we're justified by faith. We access this grace through faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe and that a righteousness from God has now been revealed. It is the righteousness that comes by faith to all who believe. And so to just throw all that away and just undermine all of those scriptures that Paul has said and say, oh no, well this scripture says that all are justified because of the one act of Christ. It's to take this scripture out of context. It is not drawing our attention to all being justified by faith. It's drawing our attention to the superiority of what Christ did over what Adam did, that what Christ did supersedes what Adam did. It is so much greater than what Adam did. And through Christ, all of humanity can be saved. Even though everyone was plunged into sin and death through Adam, everyone can come into life through Christ. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So again, people use this scripture to try to say the many will be made righteous. So just as Adam made everyone a sinner, so Christ makes everyone righteous. And again, that is not what the scripture is saying. That's not the focus. Because we know in other scriptures, Paul talks about it's through faith. It's only through faith that you can be saved. So if this scripture is saying that no, everyone has been justified through what Christ did, then it means that all the scriptures about having to have faith and believe in order to come into this salvation, it means that all of that is just nonsense. Paul was confused, didn't know what he's talking about. No, Paul knew exactly what he's talking about. And if we twist this scripture to say what it's not saying, then we're the ones who are confused. We're the ones who have an agenda and we mustn't do that. The focus is through Adam's sin, many became sinners. So many became sinners. But through what Christ did, it supersedes that. And so that even though you have sinned and are a sinner, born into sin and have sinned against God, even though you've done that, what Christ did cancels that out and it supersedes it and it's greater than it. And so actually Christ can make you righteous. Verse 20, now the law came in 
to increase the trespass. Now, I don't believe that God brought the law to make people sin more. I don't believe that that's what it's saying. God brought the law so that people would sin more. No, I believe what it means is that God brought the law in to reveal sin, to show us that we're sinners. I mean, that is actually the purpose of the law. I mean, that's what Romans 3 verse 20 says, that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law was to be a mirror to show us that we're sinners in need of a savior. Before, without the law, we don't know if people are sinning or not. We don't know if people are missing the mark. But when the law comes, we know clearly people are sinning. And so the law came and it revealed, it showed all of the sin. Suddenly it just seemed like sin was everywhere. But it wasn't the law that was making people sin. People were sinning. It was the law that just revealed that. And people have been sinning from Adam to Moses. But we didn't really know that it was sin until the law came and we saw it was sin. And people were sinning because they were in Adam. And so the law really was like a spotlight showing that everyone in Adam is a sinner. But where sin increased or where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And so here it's showing us the superiority of grace. That even though sin was abundant, it had abounded, grace came and it abounded even more. And so what Jesus did on the cross actually supersedes what Adam did because at the cross, Jesus dealt with our sin. So even though all of us are sinners and we've sinned, Christ took our sin from the start of our life to the end of our life was all placed on Christ and he took it on himself. What he did at the cross abounded even more. And the Greek word there is actually exceedingly abounded. So sin abounded, but grace exceedingly abounded. And grace swallowed up our sin. It took our sin. It ate our sin. And it destroyed our sin in Christ Jesus. And so even though we had sinned, what Christ did, what grace does, superabounds over our sin. And it has dealt with our sin in Christ. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21 so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul here is saying is that sin reigned in death. When we were in Adam, sin was reigning in our life. And nothing we could do could bring us into life because we had so much sin. But where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So what Christ did on the cross is superior to what Adam did. Adam caused death to reign and sin to reign, but what Christ did leads to eternal life. And so some people twist this and say, grace also might reign through righteousness. And they'll say, no, you have to be righteous and live righteous in order for grace to be effective in your life. And that is absolutely not what the scripture is saying at all. This righteousness is not our righteousness. This is the righteous act that Christ did on the cross. That is what releases the grace of God and leads us to eternal life. Life comes through the act that Christ did, just as death came through the act that Adam did. And because of that death, sin reigned in our life. Well, actually now because of what Christ did, righteousness reigns in our life. And so even if you sin as a born again believer, guess what? Righteousness is still reigning in your life. 
And some people immediately would say, well, that doesn't mean grace is a license to sin. Of course not. That is the very thing that Paul goes on to explain in the next chapter. But you have to preach grace like this. And if you're not preaching grace like this, and if people are not accusing your gospel message of grace as a license to sin, then you're probably not preaching grace correctly. The reality is grace has superabounded over sin and what Adam has done. And because of what Christ did, we have been brought out of Adam and into Christ. And in Christ, righteousness is reigning. And so even if you sin, grace is superabounding over your sin. In Adam, we were sinners and doing good works didn't make us righteous. No matter how many good works we did in Adam, you couldn't be righteous. The only thing you could do to be righteous was receive God's gift of righteousness by having faith in Christ. Then you come into Christ. And now that we're in Christ, there is no bad works that we can do to make us unrighteous. There's no bad works we can do to take us out of Christ. Just like in Adam, there is no good works that could take you out of Adam. So in Christ, there's no bad works that can take you out of Christ. Now, if you preach that your sin makes you unrighteous, and if you sin too much, it can take you out of Christ, you really are preaching a more powerful Adam than Christ. The truth actually is glorious, and I know it scares people, because this is the truth. Once you're in Christ, even if you sin and you mess up, God forbid, but even if you do, you are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because you are in righteousness. You are in Christ and his grace is superabounding over sin. And in Christ, Jesus has dealt with your sin. Your past, present and future sins have been dealt with in Christ. And in fact, they've been taken away and imputed to Christ. And we've been imputed with his righteousness. And so even if you sin and mess up now, God doesn't suddenly just take his righteousness away and you're kicked out and you go back to Adam. No, you're born of God. You stay in Christ. And this is our standing. This is why there is peace between us and God. This is why grace is so good. In fact, this is the environment for us to learn how to overcome sin. Because if we sin, and we fall, we fall forward into grace. We fall into the safety net of grace. And it catches us every time. And thank God for that safety net. And so we don't go through this life with fear that we're going to be cut off from God and lose our salvation and die. No, we live with confidence. We live rejoicing. We live with faith. We live with hope. And so this really is the glorious good news of the gospel of grace. And it sounds too good to be true. But it's so good because it is true. And this is the way that God set it up. And the reality is, is that grace is the reason why we could still keep sinning while simultaneously being the reason why we don't keep sinning. Hey, this is Ryan Rufus, and I hope you enjoyed this last chapter. Could I ask if you've been blessed by the Grace Bible Commentary, would you consider making a donation to New Nature Ministries to help support the ongoing work of the Grace Bible Commentary? That would be greatly appreciated. To do that, simply go to newnatureministries.org. Thank you and God bless.